This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. Talk to me a bit about the global aspects here. So yes. you've got a lot of experience um, on an international level. Any interesting insights you can share? Yeah, so um, it's it's very interesting. There there are uh, companies tackling this problem, and the problem is, and you, you just hit the nail on the head. The problem is quite unique in the U.S. and potentially Canada because there is still some fragmentation there. Um, and um, in that, basically, um, you know, not every city uses the the full traditional uh, the U.S. based zoning and land use model. The U.K. has more of a um, land use based sort of case law um, um, model Um, and there's some um, tech players already there that are um, doing some great stuff there um, uh, with the guys at land tech and and doing some great things with that Um, over there um, in Australia you know I've had some experience with that in um, partnership that um, we did with uh, with CoreLogic Australia and, and getting that information out to the 15,000 professionals that we service there. And the issue was very different in Australia because once, as you pointed out, we've got this fragmentation in, in the US, whereas in Australia, it was much easier to be able to, the data capture problem wasn't as big of a problem because we could literally go to the state governments and get a standardized um, uh, data set across all the cities in a particular state. Um, unlike here in the US where it's, you know, when I looked at, when I came over here um, to, to, to sort of tackle the problem, my wife is um, from New York and she wanted to return home. And that's when I started sort of looking around saying, what's the problem like here in the US? And I, when I really got my head around it, how big it was, um, the fragmentation of, of the data was, it, it was such a, a, an issue. Um, but I, another thing about the sort of, Globally, you know, Africa. There's a number of African nations like Kenya and Nigeria that, that have used zoning to restrict and control land use. Um, some Asian countries that do it, and then there are some European countries that use use zoning, but they're more of a, a UK-based sort of similar model where it's it's less prescriptive um, control of land use and density, and more of an outcome-based and use of case law to, to, to do it. So, it, it, zoning is sort of not a universal thing. It's not. It's, it was really developed um, out of the US. It's a really a US urban planning movement um, that was adopted by Canada and Australia um, to a large extent. Um, and some African countries and, and some European countries, but it's not universal that zoning is used to control land use and regulation. Talking um, and about regulation. the philosophy, why is zoning, why did this movement come? What was the problem they were solving? Because for a lot of people, any anything involving processes is bureaucracy, which is like, you know, I hate it. I just want to get things done, right? But what was the reason that society yeah brought about this concept of, of land use and zoning data. Yeah, so it's, it's very much what UK, you had like 
uh, sort of a, uh, planned gardens and, and, and planned garden movement and planned real estate movement and, and sort of urban town city, you know, town planning in the UK was sort of where that developed out, but it sort of um, merged into a different format, um, which we just expressed, but the real traditional, just straight prescriptive zoning comes out of the US um, movement and was really about um, environmental, you know, from an environmental point of view, um, uh, basically being able to um, make sure that your housing wasn't right next to uh, the factory that was pumping out smog and and and, and also sanitation and, and water, you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that was that, and then it, we sort of had the sprawl element in the car, and and then we were actually building towns out of um, straight from farms, and and so this planned um, restrictive. Um, being able to say, okay, we want our industrial over here, our commercial over here, our residential over here, and we want to split, split them up. Um, and we've since learned things, urban planners, there's always a new movement about um, sort of trying to think better about how we live and, and maybe that wasn't so right to split everything up and it, it didn't make didn't allow for permeability or places that people found that were, li were, were lively and fun and encouraged investment. That's why, you know, we still go back to these cities um, like New York where, you know, a lot of the development took place pre-zoning or, or Boston pre-zoning because um, we, we still mix those uses. So we're learning better things about how to zone, not not so prescriptive and, and there's different models with that. Um, there is though, um, there also is some, a bit of a, a darker side to, to, um, to zoning and, and, and I guess a, a less, um, um, there is a movement, uh, there is some investigations in the fact that um, it, it may have been used um, for not just discriminating against, um, you know, certain land uses that you wanted to take place to keep the industrial away from the residential, but it also may have been used in many cases um, as a way of pre being prejudiced against minority communities in, in certain areas. Um, and there's there's documented evidence of it being utilised in, in certain ways, um, uh, you know, hopefully not as much in zoning codes today, but uh, maybe in, in, in previous codes around the 1920s. 20s and, and the 50s um, where it was used you know, sort of like how redlining may have been used but also it, um, how zoning could have, could have been uh, utilised to sort of prevent um, low-cost uh, low housing and affordable housing and also restrict um, uh, certain, certain things. So that, that was uh, something that is actually being looked at heavily right now and, and doing a lot of investigation into where the single family zoning is uh, is some sort of um, being being utilized as a is a causing some pre prejudice. You know we had Jeff Wilson, the founder and CEO of Jupe on an earlier episode or show where we talked about this as one of the problems that exist and sort of the inherent racism in zoning and um, real estate. So I encourage yeah. encourage people to, to search for that, Jupe, Jeff Wilson, PropTech VC podcast, go on YouTube or Spotify or wherever you can find it. Uh, but there, there is a dark side indeed. Now, staying on the more optimistic route here, um, where do you think, it could be any place, could be any state, right? Where has zoning been done well? Could you give an example? And, and related to that, what is the right way for zoning to, to be in terms of you know the policies and the way it's done? Could you sort of walk us through your philosophy and, and can you give an example? Yeah, so 
Um, it, there, there's a number of different philosophies. So there's prescriptive zoning and then there's ULID uh, zoning. And it, it, so there's a number of different ways that we zone now. Um, it, and it really depends on the city's needs and the dynamics. Um, one new code that was adopted that's very forward thinking is my, the city of Miami proper new um, zoning code that they adopt in the recent years. Um, and what it, it, it allows is it's less focused on um, keeping your industrial development um, away from um, your residential and your single family and your commercial and your um, and then it's more focused on outcome and and keeping your densities to the way that you want to keep it in a particular city so you know certain heights will obviously keep in the the higher you know the the, the t tower buildings you want to keep in the you know cbd corporate area uh, but if you uh, if you have a precinct that's maybe underutilized you could hit keep a um, mixed use and maybe it won't be as dense as in the more um, traditional areas where you'd expect a mixed use building but it will liven up that area and allow for uh, more re revitalization of, of the city so you know i'm not saying that miami city was zoned properly from the beginning but they're, they're doing some inroads into making it um, the, the way it should be. Uh, Seattle's another one that's very forward thinking in the way that they uh, are zoning for redevelopment and, and also being in touch with where the, the, the community wants and, and, and how to make a livable city. Thank you for sharing that. And then, and just to like back, but the one thing they have to look at is a small, you know, village or town that doesn't have the population um, that you would have of a Seattle or a Miami. They're going to less you know they don't have the same zoning demands and needs of a city like Miami or, or, or Seattle so it, it really depends on the needs of, of the city. So shifting to a different topic now um, when we look at sort of the technology involved in a company like Zonomics um, one key thing we haven't talked about on any episode yet is this concept of GIS right yeah. GIS is something, and maybe I'll let you you define it for us, but it's, it's critical because it's one of these technologies that really fits PropTech very well. Many use cases in real estate exist because of a geographic information system, a GIS. You, do you want to sort of explain to our viewers how you would describe a GIS and sort of how you're using it? And I can just, it's pretty simply, they pretty much are using a GIS system every day when they go into Google Maps. I mean, it, you know, it, it sounds pretty simplistic, but it's the one the most advanced GIS systems in, in the world, and and that's that's really to think simply is basically being able to represent um, real world um, information digitally on a map and be able to make it usable um, to be able to display information. Now we use a whole bunch of different um, GIS systems. You know, one of the a couple there's some cloud based. The leader in the industry is Ezra or Esri, and uh, you've got Carto, which is doing some great in inroads with cloud GIS. There's some open source ones like uh, QGIS and GrassGIS. Um, and what it is used is to be able to perform analysis at on a map based level, so that you can determine things about that 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 land with latitude and longitude, which is the key. Is tying that data set to a Latin long and where so it's location based, whether that be a pinpoint latitude and longitude, or where it's a whether it's a polygon, which is what we deal with both. But obviously, from a zoning map, you're talking more polygons um, on a map. 
You know, um, Esri is one of the most fascinating companies, um, you know, run by a husband and wife, and they've built it to just an incredible scale to the point where, you know, they were competing. Uh, Google tried to compete with them once, and Esri ended up licensing and powering a lot of Google software. Esri is just such a, you know, beautiful company in terms of how big they've become. Uh, hundreds of thousands of customers um, and powering, you know, technology for all of us. As you said, we use a GIS system every day, and these guys pretty much invented the concept of a GIS back when no one even knew what GIS would be. Uh, beautiful story. I understand. I think they were completely bootstrapped as well. Didn't go and raise a typical funding, so it's completely family-owned, which is, you know, a dream for everyone in, in the technology industry. You know, you don't need to work with investors and give up ownership. I mean, I'm, I'm a VC. I was an entrepreneur once too, but you know, we can add a lot of value, but. Uh, as a founder, I mean, if you can do it by yourself, that, that that's the dream, right? And, and they've done it globally. You know, Esri is just a giant, right. a giant in the space, absolute giant in the space. There are use cases for GIS in every area you can think of, right? I mean, we're talking about real estate, but governments use this. You need this for, for you know, looking at electricity, natural resources, your water, your, your gas, your manufacturing, public safety, transportation. I mean, every element, right? Um, Blood mapping, uh, climate change um, uh, planning and analysis. Yeah, all GIS is really a, a key to it to see, you know, future proofing land and, um, and even just delivery of infrastructure and investment. And, and you, you know, sort of to, sh to dive into that a bit more, I'm, I'm fascinated by GIS because a lot of technology is very back-end focused, right? Um, GIS is one of those things where it's very visual, you can see things. And so for anyone interested in coding and getting, uh, you know, I, I've been doing this myself, right? I, I learned to code from scratch, self-taught, after I sold my company, by the way. So that, that signals to you why I'm a big proponent of technology and, and being hands-on on the engineering side. I, I, I ran a company, I took it to an incredible scale, you know, eventually it exited for, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and uh, one weakness was that I didn't focus enough on the engineering side. And so one thing I did was I spent a lot of time getting hands-on on engineering, taught myself some Python and loved experimenting with the different sort of GIS technology out there. And it's beautiful, you know, you can, you can, you can suddenly overlay something and put it on a map with a few lines of code. And it's very, very motivating when you're learning to code to see your results on the screen. And GIS is one of those things where it's, it's also very easy to showcase to someone else. So in your case, you, you've, you've got all this data, right? It's disparate, it's all over the place. What better thing than showing it to someone on a map where they can zoom in and they can see the zoning information. By the city, by the lot, by the street, by whatever way you want to go in and out, you know? Absolutely, and uh, it's, it's funny, that, that that was really my connection because a little bit of background. Obviously, I did an urban planning degree. There's not much coding in there, but the way my inter into being, you know, not a purely, not a, a founder that wasn't completely didn't have a tech background, but largely I, I usually introduce myself not really having a tech background, but GIS was my window into that because I, I did it at, at university and then practiced with it. And you're right, you instantly are able to see what the, the work that you're doing on, on a map and be out. And so it's really 
a great tool to be able to work with and it was my way into this um, of when I was envisioning the problem and, I, and and GIS was my immediate way of saying, well, this is, it's got to be a tech-based solution and, and GIS was my way to see it. And that also was my connection with my co-founder um, was, and it's how we're able to really communicate with each other, him being both a, uh, Asim Mustak is his name, him being a computer science, um, uh, having a computer science degree and a GIS um, based degree. It's how we kind of out of, were initially able to communicate on the same level was through that GIS.